When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to The Mentor, I'm Mark Burris. Yep, it's that time again when the RBA meets at the start of the month to discuss interest rates and reflect on where the economy is at. And every year, it happens on Melbourne Cup Day. Now, I've got my mate here and leading economist, Stephen Kukulis. Kuki, welcome back, mate. Thank you, Mark. Kuki and I met a couple of days before the RBA announcement, and there's plenty to talk about. You got a nice tan there. Oh, mate! Uh, a month in Greece. What a what a delight! It was just fabulous. You know, Athens, of course, and all the magnificent ruins and history and food. But then going around to the islands, absolute magic, absolutely beautiful place to visit. And what about economic? How's it look? Oh, as an economist, of course, I look at the economy, and gee, that's what made me. Pretty sad, to be blunt. You know, they, they had that legacy. Remember the Greek crisis in the global financial yep, crisis sure 10, did. 11, 12 years ago? They are still living with it, driving around, walking around the cities and even the towns on some of the islands. There are, you know, more than a few unfinished buildings. And when you sort of chat to a few of the locals when you're having a dinner or, an, or, a, or a drink or something, you know, what's happening here? They say, oh, look, the economy's still pretty grim. Those properties that are just a shell of a property, they were started 10, 12, 15 years ago. The banks pulled the money because they went into that almighty economic slump, a depression you could even say, and there's still a legacy of that there now. So, but nonetheless, they are still not out of fund and, of course, today's the 28th of October. <laughs> we've got, we can't get past the 28th of October. It's Orchi Day, which is the day that uh, uh, the uh, Prime Minister at the time in World War II or prior to World War II, just before World War II started, uh, said no to Mussolini. Uh, Mussolini said, let us take control of your country. And, of course, uh, Metaxa said, forget it. And today's Orhi Day. So uh, for all those Greeks out there, uh, Steve and I want, want to wish you the best for Orhi Day. And, uh, Indeed. Uh, Zito Elada. Uh, long live Greece. Right, let's get into it, mate. Okay. Uh, inflation this week. Tell me what happened. It was high. Um, in, in, in a nutshell, we had the headline figure at 7.3 in annual terms, 7.3%. And you've got to put in the context, the target is 2 to 3%. So, boy, we've blown the top of the target. And in a sense, we knew inflation was going to be high, but even the market experts thought it wouldn't be quite this high. So that came in, you know, we know that building costs, we know that a lot of uh, food prices, even petrol prices were still elevated in the September quarter. Uh, and we got this 7.3% headline inflation rate. If we look at what the RBA likes to look at, uh, when you take out the price of lettuces, for example, and those sort of things, which are very volatile, uh, the underlying rate was still above 6%. So that's above market expectations too. So 
we have an inflation problem. It's elevated. It's high. And that's why the RBA's been hiking and probably why there's one or two more rate hikes to come. Well, on that, um, are we seeing what we're seeing in the US and UK, even worse, really stubborn inflation, notwithstanding what we all think is going to happen? We think the mortgage rate is going to do something, increase interest rates for business is going to do something, you know, all the rhetoric is going to do something. In other words, tell us all to stop spending. Do you think that we might have a stubborn inflation here? We're right in the middle of that grey area. So that's the question that's on everybody's lips in financial markets, in capital markets. That's why we're seeing, you know, US stock markets gyrating more than they normally do. You know, the yield on government bonds changing massively every day because there's a bit of news and a bit of analysis from from Fed officials sort of working out what they're what's going to be happening to inflation. So the jury's out. In my opinion, I look at what causes inflation nine times out of ten in each inflation cycle we have. One, very strong economic growth. Two, very tight labour markets, so wages pick up. And three, commodity prices booming. All of which create liquidity. Correct. Put money in our pockets. And indeed, if we look back a year to 18 months ago, all of those things were happening. We sit here now and have a look into 2023 or even where we are today and you can sort of see growth is slowing around the world. No question. Commodity prices are coming off. They're still high compared with where they were, say, two years ago, but that peak has been achieved. And labour markets, while they're still very tight, and even here in Australia, you know, a couple of weeks ago we had our September labour force numbers, jobs growth was basically nothing. So in the last three months we've not had any, had any net increase in employment. The unemployment rate, lovely and low at 3.5%, but it was 3.5% three months ago. So we're not getting that improvement. So you can sort of say that the momentum on inflation has certainly topped out. It's just not showing up in the inflation data. And your question is, well, will it be sticky? Will it be persistent for a while? That's the, dare I say it, the stagflation question. Do we get a weaker economy and rotten inflation stays too high for too long? Yeah, that, and that's a worry. That would be the worst case scenario because we know from history back, the last time this really happened in a big way was in the 70s and policymakers didn't know what to do. Do they hike because of high inflation? Do they cut because of weak growth? Do they, you know, what do you do with the budget? Do you spend or not spend? You know, we know what to do when inflation's high and the economy's booming, you hike. When inflation's low and the economy's weak, you cut. When you've got the um, cocktail of weak growth and high inflation, it's a real dilemma. Now, we're not quite there yet. We know that the Fed's still hiking. European Central Bank hiked 75 basis points uh, earlier this week. You know, Bank of Canada hiked 50 earlier this week. So, you know, central banks around the world are still hiking because they're more worried about inflation than growth. But, gee, we're getting into that grey area very soon that unless we start to see not just tentative evidence but hard evidence that that global inflation momentum's turning down, we might have a bit of a dilemma in 2023. How much of leave are we taking here in Australia from what's going on, let's say, in Europe but probably more importantly US? Yeah. Uh, we, we don't quite have the inflation problem. So if we can give ourselves a mini pat on the back, you know, our 7.3% inflation rate as we are just chatting about, you know, is the highest since 1990, so a 32-year high. You know, the US inflation hit 9%. UK 10%. We're probably going to top out next quarter at about 7.7, 7.8 thereabouts. So not quite as bad. I'm not saying it's great, but we don't have quite that inflation problem, partly because uh, we don't have the same wages momentum. 
that critical issue that you know, was in the election campaign and we know is an important cost of living issue. Uh, so our inflation rate's not quite as uh, problematic as in those other countries, which probably explains why our interest rates are a fraction below what they are in Canada, are in the US, are in New Zealand, for example. So I had, uh, as you know him well, I uh, had uh, our mate Joy Boy, Chris yeah. Joy, um, Good old on, Chris. on a podcast well, last week or whatever it was. Yep. And, of course, uh, in deference to you, because you and he have been sort of uh, competing on both ends of, or <laughs> yeah. jousting yep. um, on both sides of the uh, field in relation to what's going to happen with interest rates and where property price is going to go. Yeah. But Chris is still sticking to his position. He's saying that there was an error in the RBA's uh, modelling. Yes. Of course, he pointed it out. And uh, they have, uh, and then we saw the the so-called FOI release of the yep. uh, RBA internal papers last week. Um, what do you uh, do? You still hold your position in relation to where you and Chris were, relatively speaking. In other words, you were saying yeah. a bit more softer landing than what Chris is saying. Chris is talking about twenty percent reduction in house yeah. prices, and I was saying seven. And here we are today. I think the core logic numbers are about minus six from peak to where we are today give or take a little bit. Australia-wide. Australia-wide, yes. Um, so, look, oh, the momentum's still down and with another rate hike to come or two, uh, which we'll chat on about in a minute, but, yeah, the, the, the momentum on house prices still seems to be down for now. We haven't reached a bottom yet. Uh, so probably uh, my 7% will be too optimistic, as in they'll be a little bit Low. more severe than that. might be minus 10. But I don't think we're going to get Chris's minus 20 either, which was the midpoint of his forecast. So because already we're seeing, um, you know, the auction clearance rates, and I know they're not the best indicator of prices, but they're not bad either. They've sort of stabilised in the low 60s in Sydney and Melbourne, so the two biggest areas and the two cities that have had the weakest prices so far. I look at Perth and Adelaide and their prices are only down fractionally at this stage. Now, maybe they can fall further. But if we are near the end of the rate hiking cycle, which I think we're nearer the end than the start, so that's a bit of good news in terms of that momentum. If we do look at what happened in the budget earlier this week, a big increase in immigration, not just this year, but for the next couple of years, that's a hot demand for property from half a million people coming into the economy over the next couple of years. So you fix the labour market problem. Uh, but you might, might create a bit of demand for housing. And you look at the rental market, which is as tight as a drum. You know, the rental vacancy rates just about everywhere are incredibly low. Rents are picking up. We saw that in the inflation numbers. Um, maybe that that um, supply and demand factor, the tightness in the rental market, will see house prices bottom out. I still reckon about the first quarter of next year. So the timing's still the same, but we might not get that 20% that Chris is talking about, but we'll probably get something worse than the 7% that I was thinking. Just on the uh, migration numbers, the 2 million visas that have been processed by yeah. the Department of Immigration and the Minister has mentioned that, um, what does that mean? What is that likely to do to rents, house prices, um, jobs, uh, demand, unemployment, et cetera? Yeah, we, we know that when we were locked down during the COVID pandemic, we couldn't get backpackers coming to pick the fruit. We couldn't get uh, casual workers coming in, which a lot of uh, which a lot of semi skilled, low skilled workers were actually being able to achieve. And businesses were screaming; they were really finding it tough to do things. Let alone if you're um, in a business that requires highly skilled workers. So now that we've opened the borders, and as you said, the two million visas have been approved, so those people can stay here and they can work. 
So all of a sudden you can get work, um, businesses are saying, yeah, we, we want to employ you and the person is inevitably going to say, yes, we want to keep working. So it fixes the labour market skill shortage problem, which was acute, no question. But where are these people going to live? The new immigrants that are going to come in the next few years, what, what's, what house or apartment are they going to live in? Where? Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane or somewhere else. And when you've got such a low vacancy rate uh, and uh, so if they're going to rent, they're going to be pushing up rents even more. And, and, you know, Lewis Christopher from SQM Research has got some great stuff on the rental uh, prices. His numbers are showing that rents are going up at 15, 18, 20%, depending on which city you're in. Like that's incredible increase in rent. And here's another half a million people coming in. And while we, well, housing construction's pretty good, it's not that strong. Well, let me, can I just unpack that for a second? So when yeah. they say, when the minister says, I've processed 2 million visas for immigration, does that mean that there's two million people about to turn up to Australia? And because and what is some that? of them were here already, but they hadn't been processed. Right. So okay, so how, how do I sort of know what the the deltas, the additional number of people are going to be now here, putting pressure on the uh, yeah. unemployment number? Yeah, that two million. It's very hard to work out who's here and who's not because again, when the borders were locked down, a lot of people who were here on visas just stayed because they couldn't yep. leave the country, and even though they didn't have their visas processed, so that addition to employment, addition to housing is probably going to be neutral, right. no net effect. But for new people coming in, that's the critical issue. And as we're already seeing in the university sector, uh, there's a big influx of foreign students coming back in. They inevitably rent in the in the campuses near where, you know, the uni that they're going to. So the apartment markets, you know, again, as I was saying before, it's as tight as a drum. It's very hard to find rental accommodation near the universities. So uh, that whole immigration visa count, uh, universities reopening, tourism coming back is just putting, you know, a bit of uh, pressure on the housing market. So if that's the case, then could we, could that influx of new people create what's happening in the US, a rental-led inflationary crisis? That's the fear again. That's what I've heard yeah, Brett Powell yeah. talk about. Yeah, uh, rents are heavily weighted in, in the, the inflation numbers. Yeah. Correct. And here in Australia, if you're getting, if the numbers that SQM Research are finding translate into the official inflation numbers, and they're starting to, the last quarter, the September quarter numbers, which came out earlier this week, did show a pretty big pickup in rents. Still not as high as what uh, Lewis is sort of finding in his numbers, but. Yeah, with a lag. I think they measure them slightly differently. So, but nonetheless, if that shows up in 10, 15% year on year increases in, in rent, that's going to put, you know, that, that puts about uh, half to three quarters of a percentage point on inflation if nothing else changes. And, you know, we do know that the cost of energy, international travel, hotels, and all this sort of stuff is going up at a rapid pace as well. Yeah. So these are the things that contribute to the, what I call the stubborn inflation. Like, you know, something is hard to, rub out and uh, it seems like every solution that they come up with actually creates a further problem. So we need to bring more people in to take pressure off wages uh, so in, you know, small business owners and employers can employ people and don't have to just keep paying more money for the people they got and also can have enough people on the floor um, no matter where it is. But that in itself may well create a further problem given that we've got such a shortage in housing. 
that's you push on one side yeah. to fix that and you create a bubble on the other yeah. side. And I, I think I think that your summary is spot on because you know, we, we did have a labour shortage. Mm. You know, we, we needed workers. Firms were screaming that they needed people because they've got a business plan, they can't find workers. So fine, have some sort of immigration. And that's the dilemma that, you know, the previous government had and this government has. It's, it, it's one of those things that I, I won't be critical of either government for the number that they put in because what's the magic number? You can have immigration that's too low and that's what was happening when we were locked down, obviously, and you can have it too high when you actually do put downward pressure on wages but you put pressure on congestion in the cities. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the things that we found in the prior to COVID even was uh, the congestion that was occurring because we had – you know, millions of people coming in without public transport being built, without the roads being built, let alone without enough houses being built. And so are we in the early stages of not something that's going to change housing tomorrow, but in a couple of years' time we'll look back and think, wow, housing's recovered strongly, hasn't it? And it's because of this population growth relative to our ability to build new houses to, so, to, to house these people. Well, let's look at that for a second then. Um, housing or, or- and dwellings as opposed to houses, but sure. let's look at dwellings generally. One of the consequences of rate rises has been, we're all talking about it, will house prices reduce by 20% or 15% or 12%, some other number, whatever it is. One thing is we know they're going to reduce. They are reducing, we don't know by how much. It's going to be somewhere between what we what the current number is, like 7 or 8%, up to some other number, maybe somewhere between where we are right now and where Christopher Joy was modelling, say, 20%, so let, whatever. But then of all of a sudden, all these people come in into Australia and they start saying, um, I now need to live somewhere. Yep. And our current crop of new new housing is going to be low. The reason for the number of new approvals being low is because it's harder to sell these houses, therefore it's harder to get the finance approved and there's a lead time. Yeah. I remember speaking at the Australian Economic Forum, which you invited me to come along to, yep. and I think I debated with um, – What's the guy? Gittins, Ross Gittins. Ross Gittins, yes, from the Sydney Morning Herald. From the Sydney Morning Herald. Yep. And uh, I remember Ross had his suit on and a pair of sand shoes. I remember that. Um, and this was some years ago. But one of the things I raised was the lead time it takes to get supply of new dwellings. Yep. And, and in this country it's quite long, quite a long period. And and then you've got to get approvals, a financing approval. And funding approval usually relates to a level of pre-sales, which is called pre-sales equal to what they call the TDA, which is a total – TDC, total development cost. So the lender, banks, say, sure, we'll lend you $10 million to build these houses or these block of apartments, but you've got to sell $10 million worth of apartments now, pre-sold, and the rest of them you don't have to sell. We just got to give us, show us there's $10 million being sold, pre-sold with deposits, blah, blah, blah. But it's hard to sell. And also you don't want to sell now because it's a shitty time to sell. You're not going to get the best price. So as a result of that, developers pull back and they say, well, we're not going to do anything right now. We just land bank. Keep the land and we'll wait for things to come back. And and I think the lead time today is somewhere between, because of COVID, application periods, I'm not joking, are three to four times as long. Wow. Because no one goes to work to councils anymore. They're all work from home. So, and there's, there's a bank of unapproved applications already. So I think the supply of housing to fit all these new people who are arriving in Australia uh, in over the next two or three years is going to be, undercooked and I therefore think maybe and I'll seek your opinion on this maybe house prices might start to get a bit of a fillip 
uh, as a result of this, particularly with investors? Yes. And I, I, look, I, I think that argument's true because at the end of the day, supply and demand is a really important... Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Wow! Nice! Yeah! What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Important structural issue for house prices. Interest rates cause them to go up and down. You know, with rate hikes, house prices Well, that's about affordability, yes. not demand. Correct. So, and the other thing that you touched on there quite rightly, when you think about the, the migration uh, policy that was announced the other day, it, it, it's skilled migrants. So you think about what that means. A skilled migrant is generally someone who's young, educated, and will work, step straight into a job. They're going to be earning money the day they arrive, basically, and probably good money because they've got the skills. So what that means also is that they can afford to buy a house. So while we, we might still think, oh, gee, rent's really high, that's a real problem and house prices are high and yes they both are rents are high and house prices are damned high still in Australia uh, but if someone who comes in here to work gets a job a good paying job they need to live somewhere they will demand a property the other thing that is simmering you know we're not quite there yet to say put my hand on my heart and say house prices are about to turn is the investor market you know talking about rental market uh, investors might just be ready to step up. And by that I mean when they can sort of see the tax rules are not going to change, negative gearing, that debate's gone, so they don't have to worry about that And, yet. by the way, a fantastic opportunity because it's, it's oh. the most efficient tax um, uh, acquisition or asset class in the world, Australia. Indeed. So, so if you're buying, if you're in a, in a potential property investor, you're going to say, well, gee, if I do buy an investment property, uh I get the tax benefits. If I do buy, buy an investment property, given the tightness in the rental market, it won't. It, it'll rent like that. It won't be vacant for three months before I find a tenant, and the rent I can ask will be here, not there. And it'll be elevated, go, and maybe it's even going to go up more. And, might have, and as we're just discussing on the rents into the CPI, into the inflation numbers, you might be putting up. Now that's a harsh reality for people who are renting. No doubt about that. I agree completely that there is an issue there about rents being very elevated. But from an investor perspective, from that perspective of someone saying, "Gee, what am I going to do with my money?" Um, it's a pretty good time to be stepping into the. Property Which market. means more demand. Demand. That, that's probably more at the for the lower, lower, lower end. But for for less supply. Correct. And there's not much supply, as you said. The, the number of new apartments coming onto the market, and it tends to be apartments. And where those two curves meet, what happens, Steve? Prices go up. That's price. It's pretty simple. It's, yeah. it's, it, you know, it's Echo 101. Yeah. I don't know who these listings done Echo 101, but supply and demand are the biggest drivers of price. If you've got hot demand relative to subdued supply, Prices go up. Everybody tends to think this is all about affordability because interest rates are high, but it's actually about supply and demand. Affordability determines price, 
but supply and demand is still there. So it, just because interest rates are more expensive than it has been, say, six months ago, doesn't mean people still have don't have demand to go and buy a place or rent a place, one of the two, yeah. and they're going to pay something. And it might just level the prices out for us at the moment. And so the I, I quickly need to touch on something, Steve. Um, the Treasurer, um, Dr Jim Chalmers, in the last few days announced his budget Mini budget. Like, I don't know why everyone's carrying on saying mini budget. It's not the real budget. You know, like the real budget is in May. But anyway, it's his mini budget. There's a lot of focus on it. What'd you read on it? Look, it was, it was more um, just a process. There, there was nothing big in there that shocked people. And yeah. in a sense, that's probably a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they implemented a number of their policies that took the election, you know, childcare and pharmaceutical costs going down and a few bits and bobs like that, which which is fine. Yeah, they won the election. They let them do implement their policies. But it was also more just an update on what are they thinking about the economy? What are they thinking about the budget bottom line? And so when you read through the policy changes that occurred there, there's nothing much that happened. And as you know, Jim Chalmers is saying, the real work's starting for the May budget. So if we're talking about, gosh, tax reform or what do we do with stage three tax cuts or what are we going to do with other tax policy? policy changes, yeah. Wait till May. I think that's going to be the the big bang of policy from the new government. That this was, as you said, a mini budget. Yeah, when I stop back and look at it. It was fine and one good thing, and again, the experience from the UK over the last two months when yeah. uh, they blew up their capital markets, uh, the fact that people are saying, oh, it's a pretty standard, boring document, I think is a good thing. Well, go, that from a rating point of view and market's yeah. point of view, it's yeah. good. It, it looked like a bit of a placeholder for me. It, indeed, yes, it, indeed. It, 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 it did no harm. Yeah. I don't know whether you can sort of say it's going to reform the economy tomorrow. But, look, it's fine. They won the election. It's their first attempt at doing something. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be looking with a huge amount of interest in the lead up to May next year just to see where there's any more like big bang policy changes on tax and spending and these sorts of things. Okay, cool. we've got our board out here, which has um, got all the various categories of those things that influence the Reserve Bank in terms of making its decision. We've got the tightening column, we've got the neutral column, and we've got the easing column. Um, yeah. Not sure about easing just at the moment, but there might be one or two categories in there. So, but and if, if, we're going to talk about it. But if anybody wants to see this, you go to the whyhomeloans.com.au website, and you'll see this. You can actually visually see this as well. But Kooky, take us away, mate. What, yeah. And we're starting off with GDP. Yeah, GDP. And this is the checklist that uh, it, unofficially the RBA look at when they sit down each month to, to discuss interest rates. I'm calling rates. this Kooky's Chess Checklist. Okay, thank you, Mark. I'll I'll, I'll trademark that. But um, and look, it, it, not everything's equal weighting either. Like inflation is much more important than you know, business confidence. But I've got them on there because they are indicators of the economy. So bottom line issue, GDP growth. How strong is the economy? Uh, it's growing over 3.5%. It's in the tightening column. So they'd like it to be around 32 3.1. Even a little less than that. They'd want to see it just 2.75 to 3, what we're sort of thinking now for the economy. The fact that we're above 3, they need to keep hiking rates. Just quickly, though, what's driving GDP up up above 3.5? Is, is it exports minus imports? What are we it's mainly at? us consumers. Household spending, so household spending. Is, is very, very strong. So 70% of the total GDP number is household it consumption. Is, is what you and I spend at the supermarket, on holidays, for insurance policies. So we're spending. still spending too much. We're spending like crazy. Like yeah. drunken sailors. Okay. Well, the inflation rate we've already discussed, that's the easy one. Well above the target range. That's well and truly in the tightening column. Easy. The labour market, I'm going to put that in the neutral col- column because uh, we've had three months with no net change in employment, three months where the unemployment rate hasn't fallen, and critically, absolutely critically, the various measures of job advertisements, 
job vacancies are turning down. Now, they're not turning down to say, hey, we're going to be having a problem with the unemployment rate, but it's no longer an issue where the RBO would say, gee, we've got to hike interest rates because the labour market's booming. So I put that in the neutral column. Same with wages, neutral. They have picked up, but they're nowhere near being a problem that we're seeing in the US or the UK where wages growth is way above where it is in Australia. So that one's probably pretty content for the RBA at the moment. The international column, aha, that's one that does go in the easing side. Because we've got problems. We've got problems. We've got a high probability that the world economy goes into recession next year. Now, I don't know whether that's, you know, a technical recession or a deep recession or we avoid recession, but the bottom line, the world economy is slowing. It's slowing abruptly under the weight of rate hikes, under the cost of living pressures. So that's why we're actually seeing in the yield curve, interest rate expectations in the US, they're factoring in after a couple more rate hikes through to the middle of 2023, rate cuts in late 23 and 2024, because I think that recession in the global economy will force even the US Federal Reserve to take back some of these rate hikes that are still coming. So I've got that in the easing column, I should say. House prices, I'm moving them to neutral. Okay, they're down 6 or 7% from the peak, but that's after a 26% rise in the prior 18 months. So the RBA, when they look at house prices, look, they, they don't like it when they're booming. They don't like it when they're crashing. But when they have a correction after a boom, they're content. So I'm putting that in the neutral. That's neither forcing the hike or to cut. Retail sales, haha, again, another one. That's us spending like crazy. That feeds into GDP. So there's a little bit of double counting here. You know, we, we consumers are still spending too much. We need rate hikes to stop us spending, to put a bit of money into savings, to get inflation pressures down. Consumer sentiment, that is actually in the easing column. Consumers are gloomy. They hate the cost of living pressures. And even in the budget, we saw that announcement that uh, electricity prices are going to be going up 56% in the next two years. You know, my electricity bill's pretty high already, but if it goes up by 56% in the next two years, that is serious amount of um, pressure. It's feeding into this negative consumer sentiment. So on consumer sentiment alone, alone which is at a level consistent with previous recessions, just by the way, uh, you'd be saying at the RBA, gosh, that's a problem. We want to we wanna, um, be careful about that. Building approvals, neutral. They are falling, but that was after a a big bring forward during the COVID uh, stimulus measures, the building uh, measures that were put out by both the Commonwealth and state governments. They've come off. We're still building some more, um, but it's neither stimulatory or acting as a drag. Business investment, neutral. Um, Businesses are investing quite nicely, but from a very low base. You just want to keep that going. You don't want to hike rates because we don't have that overheating, certainly in the commercial property market or anywhere else. So you leave that one at neutral. Businesses, confidence, neutral as well. An important leading indicator. I remember in previous recessions, and I'm sure you do, Mark, that one of the things that predates a recession is when businesses start screaming, we are doing it tough. No one's coming through our door. And we don't have that indicator yet. So I'm putting that in the neutral session uh, column. Commodities, Uh, I'm going to put that halfway between neutral and easing. You look at the commodity price index, copper, lumber, oil, uh, gas, all these sorts of commodities, copper, they're all turning down, admittedly from a high base, but the broad index of commodity prices is down about 15 or 20%. Hopefully, 
that feeds into lower inflation. So you're at the RBA, you're thinking, oh, gee, you know, it's not too uh, too dramatic at the moment. Stocks, the RBA, of course, doesn't target the stock market, but it's weak. So I'll put that in neutral, um, but it is having a wealth effect. You know, we consumers, one of the reasons why consumers were spending strongly until like right now is because we had a wealth effect. Stocks were strong until the start of this year. House prices were going up at the start of this year, so we felt wealthy with spending, the fact that that's turning down. And last one, the one that really matters, current interest rates, 2.6%. That's in the tightening column. Uh, we're only at about neutral right now. If that. If that. And the fact that we've got GDP and inflation, the two most important indicators on our little uh, the Cook monetary policy checklist, the fact that they're the strongest elements in this uh, side of the economy, we've only got a 2.6 cash rate at the moment, says to me that they've got to do some more. So so where would you put most weight? So you, you would put the weight on those? The weight on the top three, GDP, inflation, the labour market, they're the things that matter most. These are all important because, you know, a downturn in the international economy today could lead to our economy weakening. So that's why I've included it. That's why it's important to have this on the checklist and perhaps saying, well, comes the question, if you've got a few in that easing or neutral column, do we go 25 or 50? Yep. And I think that's where these secondary items, business confidence, business investment, retail sales, that's where these secondary items come into it. Do we need, if they're all in the tightening column, wow, you've got to go were, 50. They were. Where they were at the beginning of this year, they certainly were. Yep. Uh, if there's a bit of a tendency for them to move to neutral or easing, like they were last month in, in October board meeting when they only went 25, the RBA probably saw a few of these sorts of things. Oh, gee, you know, we can afford to do 25 and we'll revisit it in November. Here we are at the November board meeting. Um, I think we've got that scenario where enough of these forward indicators are in the neutral column. They still go because the, the, the highly weighted GDP and inflation and labour market numbers are strong. They'll go 25 in my view. For the November meeting, which is going to be on uh, Melbourne Cup Day, in yes. fact about 15 minutes before the Melbourne Cup runs, <laughs> yeah. um, is another 25 base points increase. I think at 25 they follow on uh, and just deliver it and sound in their comment because they put out a nice uh, six 700-word statement. What is concerning them? They'll identify in the inflation problem, of course, but they probably will flag like they did last month at the last board meeting when they only hiked 25, it was the international yep. side of the economy that's causing Dr Lowe, the RBA governor, most problems. Yeah, and he actually said in that statement in about the fifth paragraph, the first sentence of the fifth paragraph, he said um, there is uncertainty and a global economic deterioration. He used that word deterioration. I haven't seen him use that word deterioration before, yep. and I it's haven't a strong seen word. An, a, absolutely strong word. And he also used an, an, uh, up earlier in the statement. And by the way, I urge anybody, if you want to see what Kooky's done here on a graph, just go and read the statement. Because actually, if you read the statement, this just pretty much covers every paragraph. Yeah, that, uh, uh, yes, so I shouldn't claim all. No, all it's pretty the, much what it is. Yes, uh, but, but a nice he, visual version. But a nice of it, visual yeah. version of, yeah. of the statement. But he did say earlier on too there have been substantial increases increases in interest rates, and that's a yeah. big statement again. Substantial. The words. This is the RBA governor. It's not you or me. No, with no, all no, due no. respect, this so, is the governor, yep. the, the the guy at the end of the day who decides whether we hike twenty five fifty or maybe uh, early in twenty twenty three decide to pause and see how the economy's going. So I'm agreeing with you. I reckon there's another twenty five in November, but I think probably just for good good sake, I think they'll give us another hit in December too. The ah. Uh, uh, 
I can't disagree with that. Yeah. I reckon the numbers that we get on the labour market between now and then, so there's two jobs numbers that come out. We get a GDP number coming out uh, short in, in early December, about the time of the December RBA meeting, and what happens in the global economy. I think that's the big question. Yeah. If the wheels fall off and that probability of a recession in the global economy in 2023 becomes even more likely, we get you know, bad news coming out of the US, China, importantly, then the RBA, that's going to be a critical thing for the RBA. And just by the way, one thing about the budget, which I thought was under analysed, if you like, and I do know that Dr Chalmers, the new treasurer, is speaking to the RBA. You know, they're still independent on their decisions, but they do talk as they should. Yep. Um, in his budget uh, the other night, he was flagging the global economy as a risk, and rightly so. You know, we, we we would be, what's the word, foolhardy to be hiking aggressively when you've got the world forecasting a recession next year. You don't want to be doing what we did in 1990, and Mark, I'm sure you remember. I remember it. Gosh, uh, Bernie Fraser, I think, was the RBA governor then, kept hiking and hiking when no, the McFarl- global economy. I think it was McFarland. Oh, it was McFarland. Yeah. Sorry, Bernie. <laughs> it was McFarland. Um, whoever was hiking back then, yeah. when the economy, when the global economy was falling in a screaming heap, but the RBA here kept hiking and we had the recession we had to have. Yeah, yeah. 91. Quote, unquote. 91, Paul Keating, quote. A, a shocker, an absolute shocker, because they tightened rates, monetary policy, hiked interest rates, even though they could see, or most people, financial markets could see, the wheels are falling off the global economy. We don't want to repeat that in 2022, 2023. Coogie, thanks very much, mate. I love it. And we're looking at a 25 base points increase. Let's see how we go. Thanks, Mark. If you want to hear more from me and Kooky or get educated about the property market, jump over to whyhomeloans.com.au or check out the link in the show notes below. Thanks for listening to The Mentor. Audio and production is by Jess Morley and production assistants, Jonathan Leondis. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.